Hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Van Maren. Welcome to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. Today, I'm going to be talking a bit about the Marches for Life that took place across Canada last week. Now, I grew up in British Columbia. I moved to Alberta to work for the pro-life organization, the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, before being sent east to start up their Toronto office back in 2012. And so, as a result of my steady move across the country over the years, I've ended up being able to attend a lot of different marches for life in Canada. The first one I ever attended was the March for Life in Victoria on Vancouver Island in British Columbia, which is held in front of the legislature. Uh, the second March for Life I ever attended was actually the March for Life in Edmonton, and a lot of my friends and colleagues were at the Edmonton March last week. And then finally, I attend managed to attend the big March for Life in Ottawa. Uh, that's the march where thousands of people show up in front of the House of Commons. It's the biggest protest in front of Parliament every single year, rarely gets any media coverage, despite the fact that the march specifically in Ottawa has often gotten pretty rowdy in past years. And just in a handful of the years that I've been going to the march in Ottawa, we've had Femen protesters, for those of you who don't know, uh, who the Femen protesters are. These are the protesters, uh, always female, who strip down and attack people without their clothes on uh, to protest the objectification of their bodies, I assume. They're a very strange group. A, a couple of times they've they've attempted to uh, to rush the stage, especially when clergy is speaking, because that's the way these sorts of revolutionaries think. And so now there's always these barricades up in front of the stage, and uh, there's always police ensuring that they don't get too close to the stage We've had the march routes blocked off uh, quite a number of years by Marxist protesters. It's always been so strange to me that despite the fact that the, the, the kill count of international communism in the 20th century alone dwarfs that of genocidal maniacs such as Adolf Hitler by oh, like or, times order magnitude, right? Mao Zedong in China alone killed over 60 million people. Stalin killed well over 20 million people. And yet at, at several marches for life in Ottawa recently, uh, this would be pre-COVID, of course, there were people flying massive hammer and sickle flags out in public, uh, wearing masks despite the fact that it's pretty hot out. Uh, and so for some reason... If if there's if anybody if anybody flashes a fascist symbol, uh, they're justly condemned. And of course, uh, if there's one of these people, uh, regardless of whether or not this person's a plant, you're going to have half a dozen media cameras glued on them. But you can have entire contingents of of commies and Marxists show up at various uh, uh, conservative marches and protests, or the March for Life against abortion, and and nobody says a word, despite the fact that they're often deliberately. Uh, deliberately violent and deliberately block off the, the march routes, especially in Ottawa. This year, we also had a March for Life in Toronto. It's the third time it's been held, but the second time was online due to COVID-19. And it was a, it was a really, it was, well, it was a beautiful day out. It was very warm. We had hundreds of people show up in Toronto in front of Queen's Park. This was the day after uh, the big Ottawa march. So there was people who went to the march in Ottawa who also came to the march in Toronto. Toronto, of course, is Canada's biggest and most populous city. Canada's got roughly 34, 35 million people. Nine million of those people live in the greater Toronto area. And it's where a lot of pro-life activism is focused. And so... 
I got to kick off the Toronto uh, March for Life rally with with a speech that we'll play for you in just a minute. But I want to just give you kind of a rundown of what took place during the march because it was really interesting. There was quite a few protesters that showed up on the fringes of Queen's Park. This happened the last time uh, we held the march as well, but the police are, do a really good job of maintaining a cordon between the protesters and everybody who's who's showing up. Uh, of course, the, we actually, we you know, we reserve the space in front of Queen's Park, and so we have a right to be there. They don't have a right to be there, and the, and the, and the police always ensure that there's there's a space in between us. But things got interesting when the, when the first speech is finished, and we started to do a, a long walk through the city. And it was quite a long walk, pretty long, actually, considering how warm it was and how many young families had showed up. And there was a, a, a really large, really loud, really passionate contingent of abortion activists who basically followed the march, screaming their heads off all the way around the city. Now, what's interesting is in, in Ontario here, there's been a lot more passion on the uh, pro-abortion side over the last couple of years in direct response to the work of the organization I work with, the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform. Because we've been working to reach millions of people in the greater Toronto area, uh, from London all the way to Ottawa. We go door-to-door and drop off pro-life postcards. We do activism at street centres. And so there's actually been these groups that have been formed specifically to combat uh, our activism, uh, they set up these groups where they could text uh, or post Facebook messages to let everybody know where the pro-lifers were showing up so that counter-protesters could show up. And so there's been a lot more passion because there's been a lot more on pro-life work. And some of these folks showed up, but they brought their reinforcements. And just like uh, in Ottawa year after year, this time around, they brought out uh, a bunch of the communist groups, the, the biggest banner, a lot of their banners and their signs referred to abortion, of course, but their biggest banner actually said, women will never be free under capitalism. So this is actually obviously a, a communist banner. And there was a lot of the uh, the socialist slogans and, and, and the Marxist slogans as well. They were really, really angry. Um, this I've, I've seen this plenty before. Uh, we've had presentations actually, you know, in churches get completely surrounded by protesters and have access to parking lots blocked off. I think it'd be hard to talk about what the weirdest protests have been. Uh, we've had Femen uh, types show up at in British Columbia, also in London. We got protested by the Canadian Auto Workers Union once, but I think the strangest protests are probably the people with the genitalia costumes, which is not a thing that I knew uh, happened until some guy rolled up wearing an enormous penis costume. Uh, so we've we've had very strange protesters, but these were very just very heated, very passionate, obviously very angry. Because abortion is being discussed around the world right now with the potential that Roe v. Wade, as we discussed on last week's podcast, may fall uh, by the end of June, there's a lot of passion because the left is feeling very vulnerable. They're feeling very vulnerable because they're realizing that something can be in place for nearly 50 years and yet things can still change. Uh, You know, these laws can be overturned. It doesn't mean it's likely uh, in, in Canada. But it, what it does mean is that it's possible. It does mean that history does not bend in one direction. You know, they like they like to think that the arc of history is a long march towards progress, and their version of progress includes large piles of baby corpses. When they realize that things can change, uh, especially if you consider the fact that in the U.S., when Barack Obama got reelected, like I remember that election night quite vividly because. The entire pro-life movement thought, okay, this is game over. He's going to be able to appoint a bunch of different Supreme Court justices. 
uh, Roe will be in place for another half century. He's going to he's going to appoint young people. It's all over. There's nothing else uh, that that we can do. And and especially people who have been fighting for uh, the end of Roe v. Wade for for several you know an, an entire lifetime or more. They were really really dispirited by this. And then you know Hillary Clinton doesn't get elected as expected. Donald Trump does get elected. Uh, Mitch McConnell holds holds Anthony Scalia's seat, Antonin Scalia, pardon me, seat open. Uh, Neil Gorsuch gets appointed to that seat. Two more justices in rapid succession: Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, who replaces Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And now you see that if if the leaked documents from political political are correct, that all three of those justices appointed by Trump. Uh, including uh, one that only got appointed by Trump because Mitch McConnell basically faced down President Barack Obama for six to nine months over that seat, um, have all signed on to to Andrew V. Wade in a decision written by Samuel Alito, who's an appointee of George W. Bush. And so you see that just in just like four to five years, like the situation can change so dramatically that it can make something look go from looking extraordinarily unlikely to something that is a very real possibility or even a likelihood. And I think that one of the reasons for the passion amongst abortion protesters these days is they are feeling so vulnerable because they're realizing uh, that they can't take their wins for granted and they resent the fact that the pro-life movement has been so re-energized. And so I got to kick off the rally in, in, in Toronto. There was over 400 people at the march. I don't have an exact number. I did walk up and down the crowd a few times to make sure that all of the the uh, screaming communists didn't upset any of the young families that were were marching with us. But anyways, here's here's the speech uh, with which I opened the Toronto March for Life rally. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce our first speaker. Uh, our first guest, his name is Jonathan Van Maren. Needs little introduction, but I will give him some. He's the communications director for the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform. He's a cultural commentator over at thebridgehead.ca, and he's an author of several books, including The Culture War, Seeing is Believing, Why Our, Our Culture Must Face the Victims of Abortion, and my personal favorite is Patriots, The Untold Story of Ireland's Pro-Life Movement. Those books you can find on his website, thebridgehead.ca. Please help me welcome Jonathan Van Maren. I actually want to begin uh, by thanking the protesters for showing up today. And the reason for that is that their presence and their passion, and I mean this with total seriousness, is always an inspiration to me. Because I always think if somebody can show up at somebody else's event and present the passion that they are presenting now, if they're willing to spend their time and their resources to fight for aborting babies, then surely we can dedicate equal energy and equal passion to saving them. There's a question actually, there's a question that Greg Cunningham first asked to many of the people who work full-time in the pro-life movement today. And it's a question I often ask myself, which is this. Are there more people in Canada fighting to kill babies than to save them? Or put another way, are those protesters more passionate about aborting babies than we are passionate about saving them? Our passion for truth should be at least as passionate. We should be at least as committed as those protesters who are here are committed to covering up what happens when abortion happens. Because there's the fundamental difference, I think, in a worldview between what the protesters believe and what we believe. And there's many ways of summarizing it, but I think one way of uh, summing it all up is that for them, abortion is about a what. 
And if you read their signs, you can see that. And for us, abortion is about a who. Because every abortion ends a unique life that has never existed before and will never exist again. But there's a reason that so many of them have come out today and in Edmonton and also in Ottawa. And it's because we're in a very unique historical moment right now. Because decades after abortion was legalized in much of the West, suddenly the issue is being discussed constantly and almost everywhere. Even before the news that Roe v. Wade, the 1973 Supreme Court decision that initially legalized abortion in the U.S. was released, we saw photos of babies who were killed in a clinic in America's capital get released and capture people's imagination like nothing has since 2015 when the Center for Medical Progress released photos showing that body parts were being harvested from babies. The photos of those beautiful babies who died in that clinic in Washington, D.C. are extremely hard to look at. They're perfectly formed limbs severed from their bodies. They're perfectly pinched faces with heads sagging where the abortionist removed their brains. These are photos of babies that, despite the injustice that they depict, still, still manage to be beautiful, still managed to speak to you because you are looking at what is very obviously another human being face to face. Babies like those are dying in clinics every day across Canada as well. Myself and several others, we've seen the blood and the bodies in dumpsters behind clinics in this country. And I can promise you that once you see this and once you come face to face with those victims, you will never be the same again. It will change you fundamentally because you will never again be able to see your country and the city that you live in the same way. That is why the protesters and those that they ally with are trying so hard, are trying so hard to make it illegal to show photographs of aborted babies. They say abortion is a fundamental right, and yet they want to ensure that nobody sees a photograph of what that right looks like because they know that when that happens... Minds are changed, hearts are changed, abortions are canceled. I've seen that many, many times myself, so have most of the people here today. Canadians, in their view, must not be allowed to see photographs of this procedure, even though they believe that it is good and necessary, because that procedure kills people, and those people have faces. There's also, I think, a sense of panic amongst those who defend abortion with the news that the 1973 court decision that legalized abortion in all 50 states may soon be a thing of the past. And it's not just about the fact that the pro-life movement will be re-energized, which it will. It's not just the fact that clinics will close. That will be true too. And it's not just the most fundamental fact that babies will be saved, because that is also true. One of the reasons that so many people have showed such horror at the fact that Roe may be overturned, is that because it is fundamentally a psychological defeat. For years we have heard that abortion is inevitable, that history bends one way. But if Roe falls on the United States, it will send a message to the entire world, including those of us here today, something that is chosen can be unchosen. Something that is done can be undone. Legal abortion is not inevitable. And that is incredibly powerful for a movement that has fought for decades 
often for very little political result, to actually understand that something that 47 years ago was enshrined in the law of the land, you can see the greatest Western democracy, the world's greatest global superpower, can say to the world, abortion is not a constitutional right. Now, Canada's leaders, of course, as all of you saw, immediately leapt to defend abortion, always carefully using the euphemisms that they've designed to hide what it is that we're actually talking about. They insist that this debate is over and that Canada's Supreme Court has already declared there to be a constitutional right to abortion. Of course, that's not true. The 1988 R.V. Morgenthaler decision, in fact, gave Parliament explicit instructions to legislate on the issue, but truth, of course, has never been their strong suit. But to those who say over and over into every microphone they can find that the debate is over, the response of we as pro-life activists is to say thanks, but we started without you. Politicians can try to shut down the debate in Parliament, but they cannot shut it down in the streets. School boards can try to push the truth out of education, but they cannot keep it off the sidewalks. Abortion groups may try to ban the truth, but we will, as we always have, find creative ways to ensure that Canadians who do not know what our country accepts come face to face with the victims of abortion. I am often asked if there is hope for the pro-life movement, and although I think there is, I think that I actually prefer the word defiance, because the word hope is far too passive, and I think that the word hope often relies on what other people do as opposed to what we do. I think what we need is a full-throated, uncompromising rejection of the sick world the revolutionaries have built around us. I think we need a rejection of the worldview that children who suffer from disabilities do not deserve the same love that the rest of us do. I think we need to reject the worldview that little girls in the womb are less valuable and are not entitled to human rights. I think we need to reject the very sad worldview that some preborn children are better off dead and that abortion is the best we can do for women in this society. Every day in this country, Canada's politicians and elites insist that abortion is a settled question. And every day, pro-lifers head out onto campuses, onto the streets, door to door, and we unsettle people by showing them what the truth actually is. There are many who might deny preborn children not only their right to life, or even more fundamentally, their right not to be killed, but to reject their humanity itself. But, as you see today, there are so many Canadians who are willing to defend these children, and I'm so glad to be here with a large group of people today who do just that. Thank you for coming. All right, everyone, that was my speech where uh, I kicked off the, the Toronto March for Life. A few of my other colleagues spoke as well. The, the, the fellow that you heard introduce me there was my colleague Peter Boss, who's one of the co-hosts of the Pro-Life Guys podcast. The march was closed with a great speech by my colleague Micah Rosendahl. And uh, we, we took a bus back to southern Ontario from Toronto and people were talking about the march. They were they were really enthused and energized by it. And and one of the things that I always find interesting is that when these protesters come out and they had 
you know, really foul signs as always. Um, you know, there's, you know, plenty of F-bombs scattered across the signs. Uh, plenty of blasphemous stuff as well, because they usually assume rightly that the crowd is almost entirely Christian and wants to target their religious beliefs. They want to be as offensive and evil as they possibly can be. But it's it's really eye-opening for people who are not engaged in a day-to-day basis in this sort of work, or, or people who are aware uh, that, you know, these kinds of people exist, but I've never seen them. It's quite something to see, you know, these people yell and scream, to see the anger that animates them, uh, to see the passion they have for something so so wicked and so wrong is really eye-opening, and I think everybody should see it at least once. Because I've had a lot of discussions uh, on this podcast, but also for some of the, the publications I write for, you know, interviews with conservative intellectual types. And a lot of them, if, if they've never actually seen a protest like this in action, I think wildly underestimate the amount of anger and passion that fuels these people when they think, oh, I can just engage, you know, in intellectual arguments, we can have discussions. That's true for many, many people, and, and, and pro-life organizations have these discussions on the streets every single day. But there's also some people who are just livid, they're just angry, they're just totally committed to something that is is is, is objectively horrifying by every metric. And when we show images of that horrifying procedure, they, they do everything they can to keep them away from people. Like Just to give you an idea of how ridiculous things are in Canada... Uh, there was an organization called We Need a Law that posted billboards across Canada that simply read, Canada has no abortion laws, right? Which is actually just the state of affairs in Canada. Since R.V. Morgenthaler in 1988, Parliament made one failed attempt to pass a piece of legislation. Since then, we've had just a legal vacuum. There, there are no laws in this country at all. And there was just a sign that just made that statement, um, an objective statement, not even a moral value judgment. Uh, and the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada protested this, said it was it was even though the statement was true, it was misleading and that they wanted these billboards pulled down. And the reason for that, of course, is because they realized that 80 percent of Canadians, according to polling released by the National Post, don't know that abortion is legal in this country throughout all nine months of pregnancy. And that when people find that out, they're, they're justifiably horrified. So one of the important things for pro-lifers to remember is that there are more people who think like us than think like the current prime minister, Justin Trudeau for example. But this country is in the thrall of ignorance. The vast majority of people have never seen what abortion actually is. The vast majority of people in this country uh, have no idea that it's legal right up until birth. The vast majority of people in this country never think about abortion, never wonder what happens to the baby in the womb, and never vote on the issue. And so it's up to the pro-life movement to ensure that we bring them face-to-face with the victims of abortion so that they can reckon with the fact that human beings 300 of them are killed every single day in Canada and that they have not only the right to life and the right not to be killed, but they also have the right to our defense. Anyways, I know many of you were at Marches for Life across the country last week. It was awesome to see so many of you. And uh, next week, we'll have another great interview for you. Thanks so much for listening this week. If you want to check out other podcasts, head over to lifesitenews.com. Click on the podcast tab. Again, thanks so much for joining us, and we hope you'll join us again next week.